Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 podcast. Because I'm, I'm pretty good. So, okay, that's right. Because I remember you asked the question yeah. about this. Why? It was either this one or this one. I think it was this guy here. Why is it A times B times N minus 1? And if you think about this, I remember we also did the degrees of freedom of like a 3 by 3. We were randomly assigned. That's, yeah. where, that's where I, that I was explaining that. Um, and also, if you think about for error, for error, Within each cell, let's just do a two by two because it makes life easy. Yeah, what the hell is making a two by two? Um, within each cell, there are n subjects. Okay, the length. And if we were to look at, we were calculating variances for each cell. We have n minus one degrees of freedom, and then we have a two times b cells, and that's why that's the degrees of freedom. Okay. Okay, so that's basically where we left off before the break. Oh, oh, by the way, everybody had a good break? Yeah, Jen. Um, what's the Q stand for? Where's the Q? No, oh, like the first equation after the... It's a G. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, the Q. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, number of rows, number of columns, Q and P. Rows and columns. Okay, so let's talk about the expected values because this is how, remember, if you remember uh, on, the, on the quiz, in fact, that we just had, the way you determine what to divide by what analysis of variance at the very sort of deep level is you figure out the expected values. Now, for, an, for analysis of variance, uh, the value of mean squared error is error plus treatment. The expected value of mean squared error uh, is just error. So we would divide mean squared treatment to mean squared error to isolate the main effect, the main effect of the treatment, right? That's the logic behind it. That's the logic behind it. Well, we're going to have to do the same thing here for mean squared A, and mean squared B, and mean squared AB, and of course mean squared error. Right? So we have to do all, exactly the same thing for those. Right? Okay. Now, as you expect, mean squared, expected by mean squared A, is a plus uh, alpha plus epsilon. It's actually sigma squared sub alpha plus n times sigma squared sub epsilon. We just say alpha plus epsilon is fine. For mean squared b, shouldn't surprise you, it's going to be beta plus epsilon. The b effect plus error. Just like it was for plain old straight ahead vanilla analysis of variance. Treatment or tau plus epsilon, error. Oh, look, for AB, this is also good. It's alpha, beta, plus epsilon. So it just isolates the effect of the interaction plus error. And you probably could guess that the one for error is just going to be error. So this is going to be nice and easy. We're going to divide. If we're going to find out if there's going to be three F tests for a 2 by 2 or a 2 by 3 or whatever by whatever, a two-way factorial design, as we call this, we're going to do three F tests, one for A by A. E, right? Mean squared A by mean squared error. Mean squared B by mean squared error. Mean squared AB by mean squared error. That's all it is. It's pretty straightforward. Questions so far? Does that make sense, the logic of this? See what happens? You're okay? 
Okay. So divide all these by mean squared error, and we're in business. We, we find out we're sort of isolating the effect of A or B or AB. Okay? What you basically are looking for is on the top, on the numerator, you want to have the effect, and on the, on the, on the, in the denominator, you want to have everything but the effect, basically. Mm -hmm. Why on the part from your They're probably sentence? wrong. They're yeah. old and wrong. Oh. That's why. Yeah. You might have downloaded PDFs from before I fixed them. Maybe I haven't even uploaded the fixed ones. Yes. Yeah, well. yeah, it's okay. They probably have sigmas or something? Yeah. And they are supposed to be sigmas. So for the last one where it says the expected value of um, MS error equals sigma, that should be... No. It's, it's epsilon. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why it's sigma error. Well, I know why I didn't say it. And by the way, you wouldn't believe, and I'm not trying to... Well, I'm going to give you an excuse. Screw it. Um, using different scripts like that, is, like different uh, alphabets, is really annoying and confusing. So when you, like I made one mistake. I'm pretty sure this would happen. Alpha plus sigma, I think I wrote. Is that what's there? And then it's like, oh good, now I can just copy and paste, copy and paste, copy and paste. Not even thinking. Because, you know, uh, even though I paid to think, uh, not what I'm making up slides. So anyway, it, they should be epsilon, uh, epsilons, not sigmas. What sigmas? They're, they're sigmas on the online. Those are wrong. I really have to fi I fixed that years ago. Because you'll see, if you watch last year's video on YouTube, you'll see that it's fixed last year, too. When did I <laughs> fix like four? I should fix it all. I, I don't know if teach the class next year, because I'll be on sabbatical. So in 2017, it'll be fixed, basically, is what's going to happen. And I won't fix it then, either. <laughs> and by then, you'll all, we'll all be able to just, you know, you'll put a USB key in your head, and it'll just put all the knowledge in. So it'll be fine. Because it'll be the future. Um, so those expected values are only for, this is weird. This gets kind of weird. These expected values are only the case when you're interested in the, those particular values of A and B that you have in the experiment and no others. In other words, you are not interested in values between one and two. So, okay. For example, let's say you got this. You've got a five-minute retention interval and a one-hour retention interval. This is a memory experiment and a seven-day retention interval. And you've got the K. If you would this, don't make that your honors thesis. That's been done. Ebbinghaus. So we conveniently on our graphs draw lines. <coughs> which implicitly tells us that we could predict what would happen here and here. And we're interested in all these values. Actually, no. The way we calculate these expected values behind these statistics is that it, tur it turns out that those expected values are based on we are specifically only interested in these data points and nothing in between. Wait, what? No, we're not. Yeah, we're supposed to be. So this is kind of weird. It's a little strange, a little bit, a little bit crazy. A little bit, it's wild stuff. <laughs> I'm doing Johnny Carson for people that have... He took over the Tonight Show before most of you were born. Um, or quit, no. This is called a fixed effect model. 
a fixed effects model. randomly chose the levels. Aha. So instead of, so let's say we put all the possible retention levels in a hat and we chose three. That would put a new bit of randomness in, in the math behind it. So it might change things a little. Could change things a little. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to put all the numbers in a hat or have a random number generator program Right? If you're using Excel, you can type in, I believe, equals RND, it would be a random number between 0 and 1. Okay. So, let's just call a random effects model. Oh, shit, the expected value has just changed. Now, the expected value for mean squared and again, I believe these are mistaken on the slides that I made up a thousand years ago and corrected. Maybe I'll do that after the class, which, I mean, I won't. Maybe I will. Um, Maybe implies I might. Suddenly, the expected value of mean squared uh, A and mean squared B are the effect itself plus the interaction plus the error. What? <laughs> Actually, yeah, it's true. Now, this is one of those things you're going to kind of have to accept this. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is one though that there's a it's because there's this extra randomness in the math behind the analysis of variance in the calculus that's behind it so you have to throw in the idea there's an extra assumption that you randomly chose the levels and when that's in there that changes how these expected values come out that's why it happens um, I don't think it would help anybody if I did the proof anyway and I don't know that I can still do it <laughs> So it's one of those cases where you're Catholic and I'm Pope Dave the first. <laughs> and, and the church is a new thing about statistical infallibility. So <laughs> it's not a very good analogy. It's like you're three and I'm your father. <laughs> this is just how it is. Yeah, let's go with that. Weird, though. Not really want to be your father. <laughs> I couldn't afford to feed all you people. <laughs> so, yeah, just accept this, okay? But you can, the reason is because there's this extra randomness that's thrown in, and we have to take that into account. That's why this happens. At a deep level, you can look at um, uh, working out the expected values. But frankly, like I said, I, I don't know that it would help anybody anyway if I worked in evidence. I don't think it would. Now, oh, this is nice. At least mean squared for AB is still alpha, beta, plus epsilon. Oh, well, at least some things don't change. And the expected value for mean squared error is still epsilon. The thing is, this is going to tell us that we're going to change how we're going to do our F test. If we have a random effect, it's called a random effects model. If we have a random effects model, if we've randomly chosen levels of A and levels of B, now, when we do the F test, we divide mean squared A by mean squared AB. And mean squared B by mean squared AB. And mean squared AB by mean squared error. See, so let's we'll take a look. This has, what do we care about? We care about just this, alpha. Just alpha. We're going to divide 
alpha plus alpha beta plus epsilon divided by alpha beta plus epsilon. Oh, look, it's got the only extra thing in there is the effect we're interested in. Yes! At least we have an error. This is called an error term. Now, at least we have an error term. What we divide by an angle is called an error term. At least we have our error term. Same thing for B. And then, oh, good, at least the interaction stays the same. As I said, some things don't change, and that's nice. Okay? So if you explicitly are told you have randomly chosen the levels, it changes. Not how you calculate the mean squares, it doesn't change that at all. It just changes what you divide by what. And you will notice, in fact, if you go play around with SPSS, and probably not this week, because I haven't asked her about room yet, maybe next week I'll get Maddie to do another tutorial using SPSS, and this will be about doing a factorial analysis of variance. And there's a procedure on there called, uh, I think it's called GLM, General Linear Model. And you actually say, is it a random effect or a fixed effect? There's a little option there. And the default is, is, is a fixed effect. OK. OK, so that's kind of interesting. But this is when I've chosen both L, A, and B, the levels of A and B, as random. Any questions? I know this is a little weird, but are there any questions? OK. What about a mixed model? A fixed and B random. Why not? Expected value for mean squared A is alpha plus alpha beta plus epsilon. The expected value for mean squared B is beta plus epsilon. The expected value for mean squared AB is alpha beta plus epsilon. The expected value for mean squared error is epsilon. And that is not a typo. And it's somewhat counterintuitive, but that's how it is. Okay? A is fixed. There's your expected value. B is random. There's your expected value. Okay. So in this case, in this case, if I tell you that A is fixed and B is random, now you're going to have to divide mean squared A by mean squared AB, mean squared B by mean squared error, and mean squared AB by mean squared error. The world is a strange and wonderful place. And I know it's counterintuitive. Shouldn't it be if A is the random one, it should look like the random one? Yeah, it should be. But the math doesn't base itself on what should be, it's what is. Our subjective things about math don't matter. Surprises, you should take a learning. Um, we'll score the Wagner joke. There's so few of those. Um, okay, so if I tell you that A is, well, put it, if I tell you, if, if your experiment is set up that way, whatever, that A is fixed and B is random. Okay? So in other words, A is fixed, meaning we're only interested in those levels of A, and B, we've actually randomly chosen them from a hat or a computer program does it for us. Then, if that's the case, we're going to take the effect for A, the expected value for mean squared A, mean squared A, divide by mean squared AB to see if we have an effective A. For B, we're going to go mean squared B over mean squared error. 
And for interaction, we're going to go mean squared AB over mean squared error. As I said, I realized the counterintuitiveosity of this, which is not a word. I know it's strange. I know it's strange, guys. Yeah. Yes? Um, can you give us an example of an experiment where you use yeah. each one of these? Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a, Chris, an excellent question. When would you, how would you do this? Okay. Let's think about something, and I think the book I might use this example, or it might be my old book from grad school. Let's say we're doing some kind of experiment on, let's say we got tires. What? Well, companies that are making new kind of snow tires would want to test them, one would hope. So they're going to test them in different places in the country. Are they interested in how those tires wear in every single city in Canada? Hell yes. They don't want any lawsuits. Right? So what do they do? They take every community in Canada and they put them into a hat, metaphorically, and they randomly choose communities. They choose, say, five. So you get Ramoussi, Quebec, and Cornbrook, Newfoundland, and Labrador, and I don't know, let's go with uh, the Paw, Manitoba, because it's a weird name for a place, and uh, I don't know, how about Edmonton and Echo Bay? I don't know how Echo Bay, but it was like 90. But anyway. <laughs> But Echo Bay, it's weird. Cornerbrook's only got 22,000. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We randomly chose five towns. And let's see. We're going to have people... The fixed factor might be what kind of car you have. Four-wheel drive, two-wheel drive. Well, front-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, four-wheel drive. Great. Well, that's, that's not bad. So we've, we, we have the three levels we're interested in, and we're only interested in those three, which are front-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, and all-wheel drive. And we have randomly chosen five communities. So our random factor, the communities, would be D. And the three kinds of cars would be A. And when we get, we do the analysis of variance on tire wear, it's an exciting experiment. We do the analysis of variance on tire wear, we get the mean square for kind of car, and we're going to divide by the mean squared for interaction of kind of car and community. And now we want to find out, actually we don't care, but we might want to do this. I think we would know that we would wear differently in different towns. If we go to Corner Road, it's streets that are like that, and it's, the snow's on the ground from like September to like, you know, September. So, it's like two weeks of summer. We know it's going to be different tire wear there than Edmonton where it's flat. Okay. But we can test it. So we find out, we take the mean square for community, that's going to be mean square B in this case, and we divide by mean square error. And now is there inter an interaction? Now this we would probably be interested in if we're, if we're tire company, between kind of car and kind of community. That's this, interaction. We divide by mean square error. That's a case where we, we, we definitely, we, we can't test them in every single community in the country. It's impossible. We don't have the money and the resources. We just can't do it. It's, it would be an almost impossible study to run. However, you would want to do that study, and you would want to do a real simple random sample of communities in Canada. Because you want to be able to clearly say, these tires wear like this. Right? 
I think it should tell you something that I couldn't come up with a psychological example. Random effects don't happen that often. Jay. Um, do we use the fixed effect Almost always. <laughs> Almost like, always. Would we use it because when we're dividing by the interaction effect, um, it cancels out? Oh, is that why? Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to understand. Oh, you mean like when you. I'm saying we almost always use the fixed effects model for everything, yes. Okay. Do we do that because of mathematical simplicity? No. No. No, no we do it because we didn't really, really randomly choose our levels of our, uh, of our variable. Okay. Yeah. Because mathematically, this is no more complicated. We're going to divide, you know, all you, and in fact, if you have software, you say this is fixed, this is random, it does it for you. It's not like it's hard. Right? So what you end up doing is you take this, mm -hmm. squared A divided by B squared AB, and the software would do that if you said this is a, a, a random effect. Oh, sorry, A is a fixed effect, and B is a random effect. It would actually divide by the proper mean square. It wouldn't do it probably in Excel or, well, the Excel actually has an ANOVA. It might. Uh, in really sort of straightforward ANOVA things you might find online, this, they wouldn't have things with fixed and random effects because so rarely do we have random effects. Truly random effects. So we usually have fixed we usually have fixed ones. Other questions? I know this is weird. The idea that how we picked our levels of a group could change math is weird. But it's because we have a new level of randomness brought in. And we have to take that into account. That's, that's the reason why. Okay? Other questions? Because as I said, this is, this is kind of hard stuff. This is kind of deep. I'm happy to answer it. Okay. We're assuming with the random effects model that the levels of the random factor are randomly selected and independent of each other. This is why my example with the tire wearer is not a bad one, because in that case, a company would do that. They would randomly choose cities. If they knew what they're doing. Because they want to be damn sure that their tires, they can say something with tire wear everywhere in the country. really usually doing is a random effects model mixed sort of. <laughs> so when we do experiments, if we've got implicit and explicit memory, let's say, and we've got three retention intervals, right? Those guys at the lab course are we did that. Um, if we were doing that kind of experiment, we actually are interested in, in, that, in the lab class was what, one, one, five minutes in five days, I think was the two retention intervals. And we have an implicit and explicit test. Now, the thing is, would we actually be interested in saying, are we, do we want to make statements about how memory decays in general? Yeah. Did we randomly choose the levels? No. Can we technically not make statements? No, we shouldn't. But you know what? Science isn't done in a vacuum. One experiment doesn't prove everything or disprove everything. So you can say you've got a five-minute, five-day, you look at other experiments where there's like a 10-minute and a three-day and it still follows the same pattern. So what we're doing, like I said, is a fixed random kind of sort of model. It's not, we, we, so we do it as a fixed model. The question you want to ask yourself if you want to use the random effects model is, did you actually randomly choose the levels? 
did you randomly choose the levels? Like we did with our tire example. If you did, then yes, you should go with the random effects model. Because the math's right. I have never in my career done this. I have one time in my life seen it in a paper. And I have one time in all my career of looking at things where people had, um, uh, in reviewing articles for, for like a journal, doing like referee stuff where you, you think, you think marking, you think your papers get marked hard? You should see what, the, what, we, what we do to each other's stuff when it's submitted for review. Um, and I have once suggested, and I'm usually the guy that looks at the results pretty closely because uh, I, I can. And I've once in my whole career, and I've reviewed, I don't know, lots of papers, said, you know, you probably should do this analysis variance differently. Because I think you actually random, you said you randomly chose the different sizes of, I was some sort of size of a enclosure for a spatial memory experiment. You don't care. Just, you just don't care, Dan. Um, and I said, you know, you really could consider using a random effects model. And actually, because they were, they were kind of, it didn't fit with, the data didn't work out the way they wanted it to, and they were kind of upset, and then I went and did it for them. I just, well, the mean squared errors were, mean squares were reported. I calculated it and said, no, you got an effect. You just did it wrong. You should have divided by the interaction. Yeah? Why don't you just use both, like, both and compare them? Uh, you can't do that. That's kind of like it's, it's kind of like cheating. It's kind of like cheating. Yes, because I mean, it's like saying. But would you find an effect if you used one? Oh, you might. And that was the one case. Like I said, when I, when I looked at it, when they they explicitly said they randomly chose the sides the sizes of these four different uh, enclosures. If they really randomly did this, and I, I put in my review, if you truly randomly chose these, this is actually. You did your stats wrong, and I redid them for you quickly, and you did it, you had an effect. But you have to really have randomly chosen them. Because if you haven't, then actually what you're doing is lying. <laughs> because the math actually shouldn't work that way. The expected values wouldn't work that way. It, it's kind of like, Christina, in a way, if you wrote an exam for me and I said define and demonstrate the significance of four of the following, you did all ten, and so just pick the four best. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so it's kind of like that, but it's also, it's, that's just disingenuous. It, doing what you're talking about actually would be, ma- would, would be mathematically wrong. Because you'd be saying, it's a random effect, so it changes the math, but what if it isn't really a random effect? If you really randomly chosen, though, you should do that. Like I said, one time reviewing something, and I've seen it once in print, and it wasn't that same thing. So I've, twice in my life I've seen something. It happens in other fields. It happens a lot more in things like consumer testing. Uh, political polling sometimes compares groups, but that's, no, probably not there. Usually consumer testing of, of products where you'll see this kind of thing. You do not see it in, in behavioral work. You don't see it in life science kind of work. It just doesn't happen. It might happen if you were choosing randomly different uh, fields to uh, grow something in. So let's say you got 50 plots and you randomly chose five of them, yeah, then, then it's random. You know, so if you're doing something boring with plants like Brandon Champlain. Um, <laughs> joke. It's a joke. I call him a botanist just to bother him. He's actually a population ecologist, but I call him a botanist. I ask him for tips on fertilizer. Just, just to bother him. Because <laughs> it works with plants and plants are boring and don't behave. And don't give me, well, the Venus flytrap. Yeah, one. 
There's one man-eating, well, not even man-eating. That'd be interesting. Day of the Triffids. Now you're talking. <laughs> Some of you have seen Day of the Triffids. That's good. It's a horrible, funny movie. It's not meant to be. <laughs> I'm sure it was scary in 1956. That's my movie recommendation today. Day of the Triffids. Um, other questions. This is, you know, it's weird. I, this is really strange. But the question you always have to ask yourself is, did you really randomly choose the loudest? And if you did, you probably didn't, almost certainly didn't. I've supervised 39 honor species in my life. Nobody's ever randomly chosen anything. Anything. It doesn't happen. We don't randomly choose our subjects. We don't randomly choose levels. We can't. We don't have to typically either. So. Well, Dave. Yeah. Even in that, I was thinking, even in that example of the tires. Yes. Like, would you really randomly choose it? Because you could randomly choose all cities in, like, the territories. Yeah. So you'll no, have, you'll like, have a lot of snow, but you wouldn't have, like, downtown Toronto in the... Well, what you'd probably do in that case is you'd do it again. You'd throw, you'd throw that random selection out to it. So you could, like, wait until you found a random selection? No, it would all be random, but you want, you want, you could... You could actually put a restriction on it that you needed Toronto and Montreal in it. Then you actually, then it changes things over your degrees of freedom because you've lost degrees of freedom. Right? right? So one could do such a thing. But in that case, even if you said Montreal's going to be in it because they get a lot of snow uh, and uh, it's a big city. We want that to be in it. We want Toronto to be in it because it's the biggest city in the country and we're going to choose five more cities. That's still, I would call that a random flexible. I think it would be perfectly reasonable to do that. Yeah, but you'd have to play with the grease for I think I have to really think about that before. But you could do that. I, I, and I think in that case, it's going to use the rainbow flexible. Yeah. yeah, practically, it's not something we deal with a lot. The only thing we have that's close to random is our subjects, and we aren't considering them as a variable yet. <laughs> Spoiler alert, we will, but not yet. Other questions? Keep keep asking them. We, we, I, got, we got, I got time. We got only eight more slides, so we got time. We're good. I don't care. Sometimes this lecture takes three full lectures. I'm perfectly happy to just stand here and answer questions, or I can move on. Ashley, I just have a quick question. Please. You know how there's A, B, and then A, B. Mm -hmm. For that A, B, how mm -hmm. would you do that again? They don't really, it's, it's not really a multiplicative thing. It's the difference you would get over and above the effect of A and the effect of B adding it together. Okay, over and above the effect of A and the effect of B adding it together. Right? So if you think about, for example, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good, a good psychology example here. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, remembering something is harder when it was longer ago. So there's an effect of retention. Okay? Remembering something is harder if you're drunk. So there's an effect of alcohol consumed. Remembering something a long time ago and you're drunk is really hard. But there's an effect of being hammered and an effect of being seven days ago. But then there's this effect of being hammered from seven days ago. So you can lie. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's the over and above part. Or, or 
lower and below, I can see this data. Or negative over and above. Yeah, it, it looks like multiplication, and that's that's the weird thing about it. But it really isn't multiplication per se. It's it's a it's the extra non-additive part. The model is additive: al, mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. But it's the stuff that's over and above just adding the effective A and the effective B. If you take sleeping pills, a, it'll, it'll increase your reaction time. And you take a, let's go with a, I don't know, diazepam, you take a it'll increase your reaction time. By the way, increased reaction time means your reaction time is slower. You understand that, right? Yes. It'll increase, you can see this look at your face. Um, people always do too. Uh, to do that. Um, if you have three martinis, it'll increase your reaction time. True enough. If you take, I don't know, 200 milligrams, no, that's a lot. I'm not even going to say that out loud. If you take about 50 milligrams of diazepam and have three martinis, it's way over and above the effect of having those two things together. In fact, it might kill you. Your reaction time gets really long now. It's infinitely long because you can't react because you're dead. <laughs> so please don't do that. So, Dave, yes. just um, because like you have the effect of A, so you have your effect of your three martinis, yes. and then you have your effect of your sleeping pills. Yes. Um, so if we're not multiplying those together, yeah. how exactly do we... What, what, what the mean square is doing, and I'll, let's just be hypothetical here. We don't have to be, but I'm, I'm going to be, just, just for help. Um, let's say your reaction time increases by three reaction time units, whatever they may be. Uh, the effect of, of, of 50 milligrams of uh, diazepam is going to be, it's going to increase your reaction time by three units. And the effect of uh, three martinis is about, well, let's just say three martinis. We're not in neuroform. So uh, three martinis is going to increase your reaction time by, th by three as well. Let's say they're equivalent. And that's so, so far off. Um, okay, now, we now expect if we have three martinis and we have, if there's no interaction, if we have three martinis and 50 milligrams of diazepam, God, please don't ever do this. You really could die. Um, it's a bad combination. We would expect your reaction time to increase by six units except your reaction time increases by 11 units in that case. So there's something over and above, and it's five more. And what you do is you take, for every single cell, A1, B1, A1, B2, B1, A1, B1, A1, B2, A1, B1, B2, A2, I don't know, I've said them all. <laughs> and we square them and we add them together, and that's going to be your mean square for interaction. That's all that is. It's over and above what you would expect from the additive portion. Okay? Please don't. This, I'll tell you something. When I teach neural farm, there's a couple things I say. I don't care what drugs you take. You're your own people. You do whatever the hell you want. Don't get in the car driving, at least. Get in the car if somebody's sober. And please never mix drugs, ever. Just don't. It's called a super additive effect. And that's what interaction actually is. It's a super additive effect. It's over and above the additive effect of the, of the two um, factors. Yeah, man, I don't take heroin for all I care. Just don't mix it with alcohol. Don't take it. <laughs>
I, I would prefer you didn't, but I, I have no moral qualm with what you're taking there. Get a clean needle. Why am I doing this? Yeah. No, my breaking bed shit. Actually, my son's breaking bed shit. He's 13 and we can share t-shirts. <laughs> He's not a small boy. We get this a lot. How old's your son? What, 16, 17? No, he's, he'll be 14 in March. We go, what? <laughs> All right, other questions. These are very good questions you guys are asking. Okay, so we move on. So, the analysis variance summary table <laughs> is very similar to what we had before. Um, yeah. A, B, A, B, and error. That's a source of variation. So it could be, um, I don't know, you know, memory type, memory test type and retention interval, and then test type by retention interval, and then error, and then total. We have big N minus one degrees of freedom. Big N in this case stands for total number of subjects in an experiment. Okay? Um, degrees of freedom at A minus one, B minus one, A minus one times B minus one, just like we had before. And then a times B times little n minus 1. Little n is the number of subjects per group. And you, it's much easier to do this kind of work if you have equal numbers of subjects per group. You don't have to, but it makes life a lot easier. So mean score is the sum of square A divided by A minus 1. So it's basically the mean, the mean score is the sum of square divided by its requisite degrees of freedom. And the F test is mean squared A over mean squared error, mean squared B over mean squared error, mean squared AB over mean squared error, but remember, that's only for fixed effects. That's only going to be for a fixed effects model. Now, uh, what? what? Uh, just some, Montreal Canadiens made a trade. I don't agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> trade. Yuri Sikach. Damn it. We got Smith Kelly. I don't like that deal at all. I don't like that deal at all. I really like Yuri Sakach. I even liked him on Facebook, and I can't understand anything he says because he's a Slovak. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, I'm sorry. Trade deadline's coming. You know, push notifications from the NHL. My phone. Uh, anyway, it's going to come back to haunt us. Mean squared A, mean squared error, mean squared B, mean squared A, B, mean squared. Only for fixed effects, but how often do we randomly choose our levels? Never. Doesn't happen. Don't worry about it. It could happen. Wait, put it this way: If I give you an example on a, if I give you a quiz or a test and I have an analysis variance on it, assume it's fixed effects, and you always would, just like you would with an experiment. Like I said, that one paper I reviewed, the people just did it that way because they always had, even though frankly they shouldn't have done it that way. And it turned out they, had they done it with random effects, which they should have, they had their effect. They were happy. We traded some catch. Now I have to trade him in NHL 15. <laughs> <laughs> One of my honor students, um, Adam Lepa, all we do is talk about hockey. He, he comes and has a meeting with me about data and stuff, and about 45 minutes of the hour meeting are just dissecting trades and stuff. So. All right. You guys all thought something horrible happened, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, look what you could do. You could add a third variable. How about C? We'll make it an ABC. We got a two by two by two now. 
So we got group one, group two, group three, group four. These are all separate groups of people. This is level C1, this is level C2. So we've basically just done a two by two at two levels of C. Okay? So we're just making it a bit bigger. And you might think that seems crazy. In fact, a lot of experiments are, are, are three-factor analysis experiments. When you go to the uh, thesis conference coming up in, uh, geez, a little under a month, about three weeks. Awesome. You should go. First of all, support your fellow students who are in fourth year, and also see what many of you are going to have to do next year. It's kind of fun to see how the cool things that they do. You should also realize that uh, a lot of the experiments you're going to see, you're going to see three-way interactions. You're going to see two, a two-by-two-by-four, things like that. So it's not uncommon. Now things change. Now you have three main effects, A, B, and C. You have three two-way interactions, A, B, A, C, and B, C. And you have a three-way interaction, A, B, C. Whoa. Mind. Bad. Not really. So a three-way interaction, what's a three-way interaction? It's when the two-way interactions change depending upon the level of some second variable, some third variable, I'm sorry. And I'll give you an example of that in a sec. But it's the two-way interactions, that's the AB, the AC, the BC, change depending upon the level of a third variable. A 600-way interaction is the 599-way interactions change at some level, some, uh, depending on the level of some 600th variable. So, the new model, okay, is exciting, and I'm going to do this without looking. X equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus gamma plus alpha beta plus alpha gamma plus beta gamma plus alpha beta gamma plus, oh, no, yeah, alpha beta gamma plus epsilon. That's right. I've done this before. So that thing is? That's a gamma. It's a small Greek letter gamma. <laughs> X equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus gamma. It's A, B, C, A, B, A, C, A, B, C. It's really not that complicated. It gets, could get more. Here, you want to see it? There's a two-way interaction, a three-way interaction. It looks like this. The two-way interaction, that's at C1, changes depending upon the level of C. This is not ridiculous for this to happen. You can have two kinds of memory tests. You could have two retention intervals and two species. Or a sex difference. You know, something like that. 
right? So it's not like you think, oh, what kind of experiment would that be? Well, that doesn't sound that complicated experiment, does it? Greek alphabet, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, eta, zeta. <laughs> Do you know the whole alphabet? <clears throat> I learned it in grade nine. We had to learn, I, learned, I, think I talked about that. We, we, I took a course in um, classics, like Ro- Greek and Roman stuff. Grade nine. Do you still remember it? Alpha, beta, gamma, eta, zeta. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, I haven't done that. I mean, put it this way: I very rarely get think of models that have more than, say, four variables. So, you show me a Greek letter, I can tell you what it is. Alpha, beta, gamma, eta, zeta. Again, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, eta, zeta. Theta. Yeah. Theta, gamma. Yeah, it's funny. It's kind of like the order we have, except that the Z, Zeta, is actually right in the middle there. Alpha, Beta, Gamma, A, B, C. Delta, Eta, D, E, Zeta, Z. And then it's Phi, Gamma, Phi. No, Theta, Phi, Theta. Ah, can't remember. You might be the one who taught me anything either. This is not ridiculous, right? This is the kind of design. You'll see graphs like this at the thesis conference. It's not complicated. It sounds complicated when you look at the design. It sounds complicated when you hear alpha, beta, gamma, blah, 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 blah. But looking at this, this just doesn't look bizarre at all. This is something you might see. Right? Now, these designs, these factorial designs, they're called some advantages. We can study interactions. Um, Many of our theories in, in, in behavioral science generally, psychology or you know, biology, have interactions in them. Think about this. Think about how many things we look at when we're looking at difference, how different groups react differently to things. That's an interaction. That's all that is. Right? Think about sort of classic sex differences, the, the verbal difference, men and women, women being superior, the, 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 the spatial difference, men being superior to women in that that's, that's a two-way interaction. That's all that is. Right? Totally. Those are just interactions. Once you've done a few of these things, they're pretty simple to interpret, too. What I just said to you, for example, and you've heard this many times... The, 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 there's one reliable cognitive, or sorry, two pretty reliable cognitive differences that show up to men and women. So one variable is going to be sex, and one variable is going to be test type. And that's verbal, and that's spatial. Oh, look, a two way interaction. Neat. That's a two-way interaction. That's all it is.
It's too bad we don't have other species of hominids around. We can throw species in. Neanderthals, right? Who knows? Maybe it's different with that. That, that's simply, I mean, you've heard this. This is one of those things that you've heard about for a long time. We've been telling you about a lot of different phenomena in psychology that are interactions. You just haven't been told that they were, they haven't been labeled to you yet as interactions. That's all, that's all it is. Very many things in psychology are about interactions. Implicit memory decays. It doesn't decay. Explicit memory decays. Uh, interaction. So, There's a downside, of course. These things can get huge. Sorry, first, sorry, first of all, is it a fixed model or a random model? Well, it's probably usually when these fixed, but can you have to think about that? And can you randomly choose levels? Probably not. Um, they can get big, though. We already had. So for the three-way design, you have A, B, A, B, C, C, A, C, B, C, A, B, and error. Okay? It's like that. Let's throw in a fourth variable. D, D, A, D, B, D, A, B, D, C, D, C, A, D, C, B. Now you have to do 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 F tests. Suddenly we have a very big design. And filling that thing is going to be huge. Getting all the subjects is going to be a tough thing to do. Right? I have once seen a paper that had uh, a four-way interaction in I, I, I don't even like, I don't usually let my honor students do stuff with more than two variables. Because it's like, I don't like thinking in more than 2D. I can do it in three, that's fine if you need to, but I'd rather not. Let's just make it simple, get some people, do some, collect some data and be done with it. Right? You're not trying to blow the lid off anything, it's your honors thesis. Jay? When would you use a mixed um, model? Mm. When you have when you have a mixed model, when you have one where you're randomly choosing levels of one and not of the other, yeah. So by definition, a mixed model is when you have ran, you've randomly chosen the levels of one variable and not randomly chosen the levels of another. There's a reason I've told you about all that stuff that will come up in the next class uh, about the We typically don't worry about it. There is a special case that we, where we do worry about it, but it's kind of cool, so it'll all fall into place. It all becomes a rich history. And that circle is complete. And various other metaphors that make you sound like you think a lot. So, and think about what happens now if we add in E. Now this thing doubles in size. I've never seen a five-way interaction, like a five... Nobody does experiments like that. I saw one four-way interaction once, which was handedness, sex, so left or right-handed, sex, um, sexual orientation, and memory, not memory, uh, cognitive test type. 
Yeah, I saw that once. And there was a significant four-way interaction. I don't think anybody knew what to make of it. Because <laughs> you look at it and go, I don't know what that is. So you're saying that, well, no, I don't know what that is. And it was, in fact, that was an experiment done by the guy who taught me this course when I was an undergrad at Western. And he showed us the data. He said, just to prove to you that this can be done, here's the experiment we did. And it, yeah, it was uh, gay versus straight, men versus women, left-handed versus right-handed, verbal versus spatial. It was, I think that was the experiment. And I can't even, but there was a significant four-way interaction. I can't even remember what it meant. It was an interesting, and he's like, well, what, what did he say? He said, this reminds me of a Bob Dylan song. We all went, what? He goes, you know that something's happening, but you don't know what it is. <laughs> so it's like, that's basically the, the deal. You get something that complicated. A three-way is hard to, to, to look at. When it gets concrete, it's easy. <laughs> three-way. Um, that was your last thing. You're getting all giggly. Is that what you're doing there? Uh, yes, fair enough. I, I've said this enough that I don't get giggly when I say it. It's just like when I talk about birds, I can say great tits and nothing happens to it. But great tits are kind of birds. Paris Major. Um, and whenever I say that, people hear me talk about birds. They go, But like Homer Simpson, right? The word tit does makes me giggle. Um, but if you look at something like retention interval, okay? Uh, so amount of time between study and test. And then memory test type, memory for color versus memory for spatial location. And species, chickadees versus juncos. Oh, that's my PhD work. It was all about three-way interactions. It's all about three ways. Right? It's all it was. So... And that isn't that hard to understand, right? That different species have different patterns in their decay function depending upon the type of stuff they're remembering. That's, I just described a three-way interaction. It's not that bad. And if there were sex differences in there, I might even be able to say male chickadees, female chickadees, male juncos, female juncos, but I'm not going to do that because I don't know. All right, other questions? Make some sense? Okay, you got a quiz on Thursday? And um, that's it. Thanks, guys. Yep.
This podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.